0: Will you join me now in reading the text? First Samuel twenty five twenty three through twenty four. Let's read together. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and alighted from the donkey and fell before David on her face, bowing to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, "Upon me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant." This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So this morning, I wanted to start off by teaching you one of the oldest words in human existence. It's one of the most powerful words that you can ever learn. We're going to learn the Hebrew version of that word this morning. And uh, when you go home today, you'll be able to say to your friends and relatives, I can say something that Jesus said in his own language. Isn't that powerful? And I was trying to think of how to teach you this word. And it appears in a song that most of you know. And so I I want you to help me sing this song, right? The little song we sing when our team wins and we send the other team home, that little song. I've heard it a few times in stadiums in this state when I was on the wrong end of the song. unfortunately the other night, the Thunder were on the wrong end of the song. So, but you know the song, right? Don't leave me hanging here. I want you to sing with me because you're going to be learning Hebrew while we sing this song. Are you ready? Sing with all your heart. Here we go. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye. Come on, one more. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye. Congratulations. You're all now Hebrew speakers. You walk into Tel Aviv, and you'll be greeted. Just say, nah, okay? And you'll be greeted there as a local, because that's a powerful word in Hebrew, and the word means please. That's what the word means. Now today, as Protestants, we have 39 books in the Old Testament. Catholics and Orthodox Christians have a few more, but that's what we have as Protestants. The historian Josephus tells us that in Jesus' time, his Bible consisted of about 22 books, which we now find in our Old Testament. In those 22 books, the word na, the word please, appears almost 500 times. You can do the math. Some of you are are really good at that. 22 books and the word na, please, appears almost 500 times. That's pretty powerful. In fact, we can say with assurance, because it also appeared in the original text before it was translated into Greek, a part of the New Testament, it appears in the New Testament 158 times. And then it got translated into Greek and eventually Latin and German and finally English. So it's a really important word. So we can say pretty strong assurance that when Jesus was in the garden praying, he probably spoke that word not. If you know the text, notice that part. Father, say it with me. If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, here's the strange thing. If you pick up the King James Bible, which many people, scholars would say, both in the church and outside of the church, is the single most important document
1: Ever written in English, translated from original text by 59
0: scholars working in about five teams at the direction of the King of England, you will never find the word nah. You won't find the word please. In fact, every time they got to that word as they were translating the Hebrew into what we know as the English Old Testament, the English version of the Old Testament, 477 times they looked at Na and went, nah. <laughs> and they left it out. As they looked at some of the early Christian writings that, that give us the New Testament, they looked 158 times, they looked at it went, nah, nah. Right? They took it out. It's not there it's always translated into something else, if it's translated at all. Lots of times it's not. Why? Well, You've got to think about the time in which that was written, right? It was a time of kings and queens, emperors and empresses. In fact, the king was directing the writing of that translation. You may remember there's a famous story about King James. He wanted part of the Old Testament removed because there's a part of the Old Testament where the midwives, the Jewish Hebrew midwives, protect the Hebrew children by disobeying Pharaoh. And he didn't like the idea of a Bible story where people disobey the king. And he wanted it taken out. But the scholars prevailed and it ended up back in. It was a time of people of power. And as as people from that culture looked at that word "nah," please, they just said, powerful people don't say please. Powerful people give orders. And the population
1: obeys. Powerful people don't have to say please. What if they were wrong? What if words really do matter. Mark Battison in his great book that we're using for this
0: series says that not only do words matter, words have power. Words have power. Power to change things. Power to change the way we think and we look at our world. I can think of four words that are pretty doggone powerful that you probably know when they're put together in a sentence, comes from Genesis 1, 3, first part of that. Let's say it together. Then God said, let there be light. Let there be light. Four words. Let there be light. And everything that we know comes out of that. There's a powerful word-centric kind of theology going on in Scripture in which everything that comes to be comes out of word. As Mark Battison puts it, God doesn't just use his voice to form words, he uses words to form worlds. Everything we see was once said. Everything we see was once said. At the heart of of Christianity is this powerful belief in what we call the Logos, the Word that God was able to speak, and out of those words came everything we know. The very beginnings of our teachings about Jesus, that's stated stated so strongly in the Gospel of John. Let's read that together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, And without him, not one thing came
1: into being. That's powerful stuff. God speaks and life begins.
0: Life in an ancient sense, life in our own hearts. Life in our spiritual lives. We've just celebrated Easter, the most important day in human history. As Christians, we gather in joy to celebrate that day.
1: And what do we do? We talk about it. We tell the story. And in
0: our words, we say, He is risen. I'm going to try it again. He is, risen. he is risen. That's right. The power of those words joined with Christians all over the world and throughout the centuries saying that. The Doppler effect tells us that the universe is still expanding. Those original words of God are still causing creation to happen. In other words, the words God spoke in the beginning are still creating galaxies at the outer edge of this
1: universe. Think about that for a moment. In the time we gather in worship,
0: whole galaxies are coming into life. Created, energized, given form, shape, and life by God and what God said. The universe is God's way of saying, Look at what I can do with four words. God speaks. Creation starts and goes on and on and nothing can stop it. Like God, in whose image we're created, your words create worlds. The way you speak and the way you talk shape the way you see existence itself. And I believe that few words resonate with more power than please, sorry, And thanks. Mark Battison puts it this way. When those three words become a way of life, you can not only change the world with your words, you can be part of creating a new world. It's powerful stuff. My wife and I have been trying to incorporate this book into our life. We both read it. And I think Prudy took a couple of evenings to read it. It's not a hard read, but it's really good. And, and it's really direct, and it's really concrete. Sometimes in the church, we fire stuff out at lay folk and say, read this, and you need a dictionary to follow along, right? You're Googling every word there. This is not like that. This is locked in and concrete. And I think it's so important for relationships. Rudy and I went through two years of COVID, just like everybody else. She was a bereavement counselor, a grief counselor. And she had to do that on the phone. She couldn't see people. I was trying to keep a church alive and functional and operating. At a time, we got a little short with each other. We came out of COVID and she became incredibly ill. And we noticed that, that somewhere along the way, our lives and our relationships started to have some little bumpy, rough edges. Instead of saying things like please and sorry and thanks, we were just saying, you need to do this. Why haven't you done that? we've committed ourselves to trying to really implement this in our lives. These three simple words that can change everything. And I got to tell you, it's pretty amazing already. And we've just been started about a week. I'd encourage you to try it as well. It's pretty amazing in my house how different it is, just like Megan was saying in the children's moment, how different it is between why don't you do that? And please, could you help me do that? right? Somebody just elbowed somebody. I noticed that, right? Yeah. It makes a giant difference. So we want to look at a Bible story that really features that. You already know that Hebrew word, that Hebrew word for please is nah, right? Nah. That's simple. You go home today and remember that. Remember that for the rest of your life. That's please. And this this story features that word. And it's a great story. How many of you love Westerns? Just raise your hand. If you love Westerns like John Wayne, those kind of things, Clint Eastwood. So go home today and read this story out of uh, 1 Samuel 25, because it's just like a Western. It's about a range war and one gang of Desperados versus another gang and the big powerful landowner. You're gonna love it. If you just think about it happening in the wild West, you're gonna get the story and the whole meaning of it. It's a story about a couple. His name is Nabal and her name is Abigail. And his name in Hebrew can be pronounced a couple of different ways. And depending on how you pronounce it, it can mean a couple of different things. Neither of which is nice, right? I don't know if you have that kind of relative in your family or co-worker where nobody calls them by their real name. You call them by sort of a negative nickname. Oh, you know, it's so grumpy, that kind of thing. It's, it's one of those stories. Nabal's probably not his real name. The, the name used in the story means either loser, Right? Or it can just, depending on how you translate it, can mean someone with a doggy personality and not in a good way. You know, somebody's always nipping at your heels and, and doing things they shouldn't be doing, that kind of thing. So he's not a really good guy. And he has a beautiful wife. Her name is Abigail. And the story is set in David's life before he becomes king. And he's living out in the wilderness with this, this group of, of mighty warriors. And they have business dealings with Nabal. Go back and read the story. You'll get all the details. But at one point it goes south. And David feels mistreated. And so he puts on his sword and he gathers up his warriors. And he says, we're going to go down to Nabal's ranch. I'm going to drag him out. And I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to kill his cousins his uncles, his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters, his wives, his children, and every servant I could ever find that ever worked for that man, we're going to go down and put him to the sword. So they get on their horses. It's like that old gang in the Wild West. They're riding down the road. And Abigail hears about it, Nabal's wife. And she gathers up a little entourage. After all, she's a very wealthy woman. So she gathers up her entourage of servants and she brings gifts and she goes down that road to meet David and there's this powerful, incredible moment and sometimes we
1: have these moments in life where everything can change for the better or the worse depending on how we respond. And this is one of those moments not just for Abigail for David, I mean, Abigail's about to lose her family, her children, everything she loves. But if David goes on the way he's planning to go on, he's like a terrorist. He becomes a mass murderer. The
0: two groups meet at a a, a desert road caught between barren mountains.
1: And it's Abigail who makes the first move. She comes forward on her little donkey. She gets off the donkey all by herself. She approaches David
0: and this group of wild warriors. and She does something that no wealthy woman of power in that culture then or now would
1: ever do. She falls flat on her face in the dirt. The dirt and the dung and the filth Of a road in that time. And she speaks to David. And she says these words Upon me alone,
0: my Lord, be the guilt. Nah, please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant.
1: Please, please, please. And then they have this incredible conversation
0: in which this very, very smart woman does what what the word please always invites. It always invites us to connect. It always invites us to form an alliance, a friendship, to karat in Hebrew, to cut covenant, to to make a a relationship. Because that word na, please, is always a relational word. To say that word is to recognize that we were created by God. It's in our human DNA to live in relationship. We say we were created in the image of God. I don't know if that means we look like God. But I know that it means we're created to be in relationship. And my wife is going to close her eyes and put her fingers in her ears during this part. because I'm going to get into a little bit of Grammar. The particle na is often not even translated, right? We saw that in the King James Version. Almost 600 times it's ignored. It's simply two consonants in, in Hebrew, none and olive, attached to a verb. But that's the important thing, is how it gets hooked to the verb. Then the verb here, verb here is shava, which means to make an oath. So please make an oath. Please enter into a covenant. Please be in relationship with me. When na is attached to a verb, the meaning shifts It's not a demand, like I remember saying to our teenagers, please turn that
1: down. Please clean your room. It's not that. It's a request. Please connect. Let's find a solution for this together.
0: And rather than compelling action, the supplicant, the person saying please, invites a response And the reciprocity is left hanging. That is, you say it and ask, please help
1: me. There's no demand. It's not to be used in a manipulative way or a forceful way
0: or a threatening way. It's never how please is supposed to be used. And there on that dusty road, using a word that predates written language.
1: Abigail says all of that to David while she's lying face down in the dirt. Man, it means something to David. In fact,
0: please, that word now nah, please, invites us into a relationship. Please is one person asking another to agree to help them. Abigail's been very clever. She says to David, I'm begging you to save my family. Please, enter into a relationship with me where we can work for the best outcome. That's the real power of please.
1: You might say, what's in it for David? Well, she explains it to him. Said, do you really want to go out and kill innocent people? She says something I hope my wife has never said.
0: She probably has, but, but not allowed to me. My husband's a fool, she says to David. Don't hold that against everybody else. Please, do what's right before God. Let's both agree to join together. That's the power of please. When, it, when it's connected in that way, it covenants us together. We're connecting on a human level, and our basic relational DNA is united to
1: bring about the best outcome. Please, David. Help me. And you know what David does? We'll probably use, we'll get to this word in, in, in another couple of weeks. David says, Thank you. It's amazing.
0: One minute he's ready to wipe out Abigail and her whole family. Now he's thanking her. He says, Your please, your naw has changed my heart and kept me from doing what's unspeakable. I was about to let my anger and my rage take over and I was going to commit atrocities that would follow me all the days of my life which I'd be held accountable by God and would be just nothing but a disaster. Because you humbled yourself and said, please, invited me into covenant
1: to bring about the best resolution to this. I'm saved. Your humble pleas to me has redeemed me. So many times in the the middle of
0: relationship strife, right? We're both parties are are looking for some kind of a door out, some kind of a, a way forward to a better
1: place. It's amazing what one word can do to transform the moment. What the simple word, please, spoken in a humble way, a human way, can mean. To say to another human being, please, I need your help to resolve this.
0: It's one of the most powerful things we can ever say in any relationship or any situation. King James translators didn't get it. To them, that was showing weakness and vulnerability. But scripture teaches us in the life of Jesus Christ that it's just when we are most weak
1: and allow ourselves to be vulnerable that we connect the people around us and change the world. There's an interesting little postlude to the story. So Abigail is saved.
0: She feeds David's men. They have a big celebration, big barbecue. I told you it's like a Western. And then she goes home and she tells her husband what's happened. And he's so overwhelmed with fear that he falls over dead. Right? You've got to love the Old Testament. I mean, it just has a way of, of telling a story and a little bit of humor. goes a long way. It just is great. He just falls over dead.
1: And later, when David's ready to become king, he says to a couple of his most trusted friends, I'm going to need a queen. Remember that gal, Abigail? She saved me from the worst moment of my life. Go and ask her if she'd like to be the queen of Israel. And she does. Incredible story. Powered by please. I'd like to share
0: with you, in closing, one story of, of how that applies in a very practical way right here in our own lives. And I'd like to think about those situations in your life where maybe you're, you're, you're most stressed out right now. Maybe where you have the most conflict in your life. And think about this story and, and maybe how it applies in your situation. When I was a young social worker, I worked for United Methodist Placement and Counseling, a counseling center the Methodist Church had here in Oklahoma City over on the Wesley Church campus down on 23rd. And in those days, uh, children were not often placed in foster care. We didn't have very many foster parents. We usually kept them in orphanages, sometimes warehousing them. And so sometimes children didn't get placed with a family for a long time. And an Oklahoma City news station, KOCO TV, to their credit, developed a program that eventually went all over the nation called Wednesday's Child. And on Wednesday, as a caseworker, one of us, we could go on this program and we could take a child who had not been adopted, been waiting a long time for adoption, and we could share their story. And it was just, you know, 100% effective. Time after time, when, when we put a child on that show, somebody in the state of Oklahoma would respond. There's a powerful story in the Methodist Church. Now, we're the second largest foster care provider in the state of Oklahoma, second only to the state itself. This is how we got there. This was kind of the beginnings of that. Because we did have kids that never found a family. And I had a young guy named Matthew, and he was 16 years old. And he had tried, and we had tried and tried to
1: place him People came in looking for infants, at least little people, not teenage boys.
0: So I, I had a great idea. We'd take him on Wednesdays, child, and he was so excited. His expectations were very low for a family, I should tell you. All he wanted from a family, get this, just think
1: about this. This is all he wanted. He wanted a place to go Christmas, spend time, Thanksgiving and maybe maybe Easter. He didn't even
0: care about his birthday. He'd never celebrated it anyway. But he had this image, this hallmark image in his head of what those family holidays were like. And that's all he wanted. He just wanted a place to go have those those, those times during the year. That's all he was looking for. We go on the program, and, and we present his story, and he's beautiful, and he tells his story so well. It's incredibly
1: moving. And then afterwards, for two weeks, nobody called. Not one person responded. And I felt like I'd done the worst thing to Matthew I ever could. I'd I'd shown him some
0: hope and now that was gone. And I was talking to him about the experience. And and I, I, I was trying to justify in my mind, like 22, 23 years old, I was trying to justify in my mind that I had done my job. I had taken him through, through all the forms and all the paperwork, presented his case everywhere I was supposed to. I had done my job. Somehow, Matthew still didn't have a family. And I remember sitting in that office over
1: at the Wesley Church, and, and I thought we had wrapped up. Then Matthew looked across the table at me. And he said, please, please. please help me, please help me find a family. Like long ago on an ancient dusty road where a
0: woman named Abigail met a man named David, please changes everything if we take the time to listen and respond. And I did something I'd never done before as a caseworker. I'd gone through all the regular channels, but I went home that night and I just started calling everybody I knew. I said, if you can't take Matthew into your family, would you call eight or 10 people you know? Let's get dozens and dozens and dozens of people involved in this. And let's none of us quit till we find Matthew a family make that please ring true. I remember I was going through the role of my mother's Sunday school class, right? That's how desperate I'd become. I'd given up on anybody under 50. I was working on the group above that age wise. I was going through the role of her Sunday school class and I called a couple that were close friends of hers and I shared Matthew's story. I really didn't think to even ask them to take Matthew. I said, if you know people, you know, in your church, I was talking to to, to the man. He, they had two kids of their own already, two two boys. They're about to graduate
1: from high school. He said, "I think, I think God might be calling us. Give Matthew a family." I remember that moment just like it happened yesterday. This couple have already had two boys. Took Matthew in every day for the rest of his life, they provided him a home filled with love and grace and care. It's the power of saying please and the power
0: of listening when someone says it to you.
1: It's one of those words that can change the world. Now, here are your action steps. Be intentional in using the word
0: "please." Find places in your life. It may sound a little, maybe a little stilted, and sound kind of funky at first if you're saying it every every few minutes. But just go ahead and do it. All right, it'll work out. Second, and this is just as important. When someone says "please" to you,
1: slow down. And really hear them. Because that can change the world. Would you join me now in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy
0: name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.